Father, we thank you for this incredible time that you've given us to come together and to worship. And we recognize this morning that the creator and sustainer of all things is in our midst. As we gather in your name, and we pray that prayer that many of the early church fathers prayed so often, Holy Spirit, come. Would you come this morning and meet us where we're at? Would you come and make yourself known and real to us? Would you come and bring about your healing and your transformation in our hearts, in our minds? And as we lead this moment together here today, would we leave this moment different than the way we started this moment? Would we complete this moment by being more transformed into the image of Jesus? We thank you. We honor you. We love you here this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, welcome GT family. It is so good to be with you again here this morning, week two, where I am here on the ground. My name is Tim. I have the wonderful privilege and honor of pastoring this incredible congregation called Glad Tidings Church. You know, last Sunday was an incredible week as we gathered together for three in-person services to worship and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And this week, we've had an incredible week of just being able to interact and meet with the staff and be able to continue to work towards seeing what God can do through this church, in this community, in our day, and in our generation. Well, this morning, I am so excited because we are starting a brand new series. And this series is going to be on the book of Acts. And the way we're going to do this is going to be kind of an expositional type of teaching where we're going to just walk through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, do some good exegesis on the text. Really, that just means discovering what the author was saying to that audience and then drawing great, beautiful application out for us today. And as we are in this moment where we are in a third lockdown once again, I believe that as we look to the book of Acts over the next uh, couple months here, that we're going to rediscover some of the things that Jesus always intended for his church as we continue to move forward for his glory in our day. Now, I want to open up with this question here this morning to kind of center some of our thoughts around. And that question is this, how many people enjoy waiting for things? How many people enjoy waiting for things? Now, many sociologists believe that with the advancement of production and technology, that the negative result is that we in the West have in many ways become the most impatient generation ever to live. And our expectation to receive that which we desire so instantaneously would often bewilder many generations before us. We want things now, And we want things to happen with little struggle or challenge. And if we're to be honest with ourselves, patience is not a defining attribute of our generation. You know, I have a great friend named Wes Key. Wes is the owner of the Chick-fil-A in Bloomington. And Wes and his wife Kelly and their kids were members of our church in Indiana. You know, during the pandemic, Chick-fil-A absolutely mastered the drive-through model where they shut down their in-person dining and they really put all their effort and their energy into developing their drive-through model and during the pandemic it was amazing to see just how efficient they became at getting cars coming through the drive-through you would be backed up onto several streets away and within eight to ten minutes you were getting your food and you were getting through the drive-through now wes and i were great friends and we would often meet and we would talk about life and and leadership 
and theology and raising children. And I love just to ask him about how he led this incredible organization, the things that they focused on. So they were so efficient in how they did their drive-through that when the vaccines began to roll out in the state of Indiana, many of the groups distributing called them up to get consulting on how to do their vaccination rollout well. One time we were talking about this and he began to talk about all the different ways they discovered that they could cut down on time in the drive-through to make sure that it was a quick process. But in the midst of that, he was very clear that there were some things that they would not compromise on when it comes to preparation. For instance, the quality of their food, how they prepare the food. So they didn't want to be so focused on doing things quickly and efficiently that they missed out on the quality of preparation. At the same time, Chick-fil-A is known for their incredible customer service. So even in the drive-through, as the people are taking orders, they were very careful that if a person starts engaging in conversation, that they don't rush that moment. So it reminded me that there are many things in life where, yes, we need to continually be getting better at and more efficient on, but there are other things in life that we need to allow the due process to take place. We need to allow the time uh, to happen so that we get the fullness of what is intended for that moment. You know, Dallas Willard said, the single most obvious trait of those who profess Christ but do not grow into Christ's likeness is their refusal to take the reasonable and time-tested measures for spiritual growth. And so here this morning, as we go into the first chapter of the book of Acts, I believe we are going to learn this valuable principle of what it means to be patient and wait for what God has for us as his people. Now the book of Acts has long been an integral part of the church in regards to doctrine and its early history. And it has often been highly debated as leaders have differed on the purpose and intent of its content and whether what we read about in this book is something that should be expected in the present state of the church or not. Often this is manifested in a debate of cessationism versus continuationism. Cessationism is the idea that what we read about in the book of Acts was for the first century alone, and it was for the early apostles. But now that we have the canonization of Scripture, we don't need supernatural signs and wonders. We don't need the gifts of the Spirit. Continuationism is the idea that, no, we absolutely need supernatural signs and wonders. And what we read about in the book of Acts is intended for every generation, even though we do have the canonization of Scripture. Now, the book of Acts was originally written as a two-part volume, with the Gospel of Luke being volume one and Acts being volume two. And so, therefore, it was often referred to as Luke-Acts in the early church. It was written to a man named Theophilus, which means the beloved of God. And so the idea here is that the Gospel of Luke is written to reveal all that Jesus did while on earth. But the book of Acts is written to reveal all that Jesus was continuing to do through his spirit in the church on earth. Now quickly, just a little bit of a background about this book. Number one, we believe that it was written by Luke. Luke was a well-educated physician. He was a companion of Paul. We know this from the we sections where Luke transitions from the third person to writing to the first person narrative. He was a church historian, but he was also a great theologian. And that is so important because when we read Acts, we're not just reading history, though that is there, but we're also deriving great doctrine and theology about God's intent for the church being led by the Spirit to take the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. 
Now, the purpose of this book is to record the work that Jesus did and was continuing to do through the active work of the Holy Spirit in the church. And so the idea was that supernatural events that Luke is recording and gospel expansion throughout the entire region is actually what is considered normal Christianity. That this is the church that Jesus promised he would build and the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against it. Now the genre of this book is that it's written in what's called historical narrative, meaning that there are descriptions of actual events. There's real testimonies from eyewitnesses. Luke lists uh, many names of cities, towns, regions, geographical layouts of the lands. He names governors and officials. And basically the book follows two main characters. In chapters 1 through 12, it follows the apostle Peter and the ministry to the Jewish people. In chapters 13 through 28, it follows the Apostle Paul and the ministry to the Gentiles. And so that's just kind of a little preface or a background to as we open up this book and begin to discover what the Lord wants to speak to us for our church moving into this season. So I want you in your Bibles to go to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to break it down in several sections and just derive some things from the text here today. In Acts 1, 1 through 3, Luke writes this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now from the outset, what Luke does is he establishes that this is the testimony of the resurrected Jesus. Something that many witnesses declared had happened, and there were many proofs that he wasn't just a ghost, he wasn't just a phantom, or some made-up myth. The very fact that he appeared to multiple people in different places at different times. The very fact that he even ate food with them. Secondly, from these first three verses, what we see is that Luke reveals that the resurrected Jesus is still adamant in proclaiming his essential message that he came announcing. That the kingdom, rule, and reign of God had in fact begun with his arrival, with his death, and with his resurrection. And what this meant was that there was a new king now. There was a new world order. And as citizens of this new heavenly kingdom, we should live as those under its rulership. Let's read on in verses 4-7. through Luke writes, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now here, Luke alludes back to some of the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels where Jesus promises that he is going to send his promised helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And Luke records the words of Jesus in encouraging his disciples to wait for this promise to come. But when it comes, what Luke does here is he contrasts that with the baptism of John, which was a baptism of repentance. Jesus is saying here that it will be like that, but instead of being fully submerged in water, you will be fully submerged in my spirit. 
when the Holy Spirit comes, it'll be like the baptism of John when you went into the water and you were raised up. But instead of being submerged in water, you're going to be submerged in my spirit. Now, verses 6 and 7 reveal that the disciples, they still don't quite understand how the kingdom of God is actually coming. And they are still hoping for a kingdom like all other kingdoms of their world that came through violence, that came through revolt, that came through overthrowing their enemies. And they are about to be awakened to the uniqueness of the ways of the kingdom of God. I want you to see this. That the disciples, and Luke is intent to record this all through the book of Acts, that the disciples are still very much dealing with prejudices in their heart. There's this nationalism with them. The idea in verse 6 is when they say, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? What they're really asking, are you going to make Israel great again? You see, they forgot that Israel was blessed and given promises not just to make Israel great as a nation, but so that the blessings of God may come through Israel for the healing of the nations, for the healing of the entire earth. And we see that with the covenant made with Abraham in Genesis 12 and 17. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says it like this, Instead of a renewal which would form them as a restored Israel, waiting for God to become their king as so many Jews of the day had hoped for, they would experience a renewal which would form them as a restored humanity, celebrating the fact that God was becoming king of the whole world and knowing that as a reality inside their own selves. God is at work to do a new thing in the whole world and it catches up within its powerful movement every child, woman, man who comes within its orbit. And so Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is actually a response to the question that the disciples ask in Acts 1.6. When they say, are you going to restore the kingdom to, uh, to Israel this time? Jesus responds and says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, watch this, in Jerusalem. And the disciples are like, amen, we got that. Judea, okay, beautiful. Samaria, at that moment, the disciples' flags start to go up. Wait a second. We don't like the Samaritans. We don't want the kingdom of God to come to the Samaritans. We thought it was just about us. And then when Jesus says, and to the ends of the earth, many scholars believe that statement is a reference to Rome. Rome are their enemies. Rome are their oppressors. The idea was all roads led to Rome and all roads led out of Rome. And so when Jesus says to the ends of the earth, what you're saying here is that you want your kingdom to come even to our oppressors, even to our enemies. And so Jesus, he quickly responds to their misconceptions about the kingdom by saying that this submersing experience in the Holy Spirit isn't for the sole purpose of just you alone or just Israel's well-being. Rather, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is for the purpose of being empowered to be witnesses who boldly proclaim the resurrection message of Jesus and the arrival of the kingdom of God to the entire nations of the world. That is the message that will go forward, and that is the message that cannot be stopped. And so Jesus, what he does here is he lays out this geographical map of how the gospel is going to go into all the world, and it starts at home, first in Jerusalem. And the growth of the church is recorded in seven stages. We see this in stage one in Acts 6, it's in Jerusalem. In stage two in Acts 9, it's in Judea and Samaria. 
In stage three in Acts 12, it ends up in Antioch in Syria. In stage four in Acts 13, it ends up in Asia. In stage five, Acts 16 is Asia and Europe. And it says the churches were being strengthened in their faith and they were increasing. In stage six, in Acts 19, Paul is in Ephesus, and the word of the Lord is growing mightily and prevailing. And in stage seven, finally in Acts 28, the gospel ends up in Rome through the imprisonment of Paul. And it says that the preaching of the kingdom of God and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ was happening there in Rome. You see, what is happening is that the gospel and the church grew and spread exactly how Jesus prophesied it would spread in Acts 1.8. New Testament scholar Craig Keener says it like this. He says, The empowerment is the implicit and often explicit driving force behind the narrative's movement from Jerusalem to Rome. From a culturally comfortable city representing the church's heritage to a culturally and religiously dissonant city representing its mission and future. I want to say this. For many, many decades now, the church in the West has been in a position of comfort. Our ability to gather, our ability to minister, our ability to proclaim Christ and declare that we serve Jesus as Lord has been very comfortable. But I believe we're transitioning into a season where God is calling us through the leading of the Spirit out of the place of comfort and into the new into a new normal. And I know we don't like to hear those words, but I believe it is God sovereignly saying, you've been complacent, you've been comfortable, you've been, um, you've been casual for too long, and now I'm leading you into the unknown. Will you trust me? Will you allow my spirit to lead you? Will you go with me in what I want to accomplish in the world, in the earth, in this season? So Luke writes the book of Acts as an account with no official ending. And the idea is this, that the testimony of the early church is what we read about in the book of Acts. But this is also to be the testimony of the ongoing church throughout every generation. You see, the progressive parallelism is that the gospel went forward to the ends of the earth in the first century. But the gospel is to continue going forward to the ends of the earth in every generation. There are so many people groups that have never heard the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. We have so much work to do. And what Acts tells us is, this is the testimony of the early church. Let this continue to be the testimony of the church from generation to generation. Let's read on here, verses 9 through 11. Luke says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And Luke here records the ascension. And this is where Jesus, in his fully resurrected state, leaves the earthly realm, enters into God the Father's realm in heaven, in which he rules from. Now, Luke uses similar language to that of Daniel 7, the prophetic vision that Daniel had, to reveal that this great prophetic promise given by Daniel has now been fulfilled in Christ. And this is the big motif in the book of Acts, is this idea of prophetic fulfillment, what Jesus has fulfilled and what the church is continuing to fulfill. Verses 12 through 14, Luke says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. 
a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so Jesus ascends to be seated at the right hand of the Father where he now rules from. And the disciples then make their way back to Jerusalem and wait for whatever it is that Jesus told them to wait for. I love the imagery here. I just like to envision that I'm there with the disciples and all of a sudden I see Jesus being taken up in the cloud. And the disciples are so caught up in that moment. And an angel appears and comes and says, guys, like snap out of it. Wake up. Go do what Jesus told you to do. Go to Jerusalem and then wait. You see, the disciples go back to Jerusalem and they begin to gather in this upper room. And they just begin to wait, just as Jesus told them to do. But exactly for what, I think they're most likely unsure about. You see, it is in this season of waiting that Jesus is preparing them for what he's about to do in them but also what he wants to do through them. I love to think about the group gathered in the upper room and they're just waiting. Maybe they begin to sing some songs. Maybe they begin to pray. Maybe Peter and John share a little exhortation and 20 minutes goes by and 30 minutes goes by and all of a sudden they're stuck and they go, what do we do now? I don't know, but we were told to wait. And so maybe they begin to sing some more songs and maybe someone shares a testimony or someone reminds them of what Jesus did and performing a miracle and maybe they have this great encounter, this great moment and it ends and they go, well, what should we do now? I don't know, but Jesus told us to wait. And it just goes on and on and on. They're just waiting. And in the moment, it can seem like, well, what are we doing? What is the purpose of all this? And what they don't know is that God is actually working and orchestrating in the moment of waiting. He's preparing their hearts for what he's about to do in them and sending his spirit, but he's also preparing others. He's about to accomplish something so great in launching his church. You see, it was during Pentecost where Luke records that the nations, people from all over the world, came to Jerusalem. And it was at Pentecost where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came down, and we're going to talk about that next week, where the nations of the earth heard the gospel of Jesus. God was preparing those that were waiting. He was also preparing others to bring them to the place to be able to receive his promise, his declaration, and his purpose. So here is the big takeaway here this morning. If you remember nothing else, once again, I want you to leave this moment remembering this. In the process of waiting, God is preparing us, and he's also preparing others. God is preparing us for what he wants to do in us, but also what he wants to do through us. Let us not make the same mistake that so many of the the disciples made, thinking that what God was going to do was only for their blessing and their purpose. But no, we must understand that whatever God does in us, he desires to do through us. So he's preparing us because he wants to utilize us. He wants to work through us. And he's preparing others to receive the gospel good news of his resurrection power and his kingdom rule and reign. 
And as we conclude here this morning, and we're going to transition next week into Acts 2, what we see is this, that while they were in the process of waiting, all of a sudden, it suddenly happens. In the process of waiting, singing, praying, worshiping, sharing testimonies, after this lengthened time, it says that the Holy Spirit comes, and there is the launching, the launching of the church out of this moment. And it's a powerful kairos moment, a now moment, right? And it comes through the process of waiting. And none of us, once again, like waiting. But in the midst of our waiting, could we embrace a posture of patience to say, God, I want to be available. I want to be open to whatever you have for me in this moment. And when I trust that you are working and you are orchestrating things to prepare others because it's not just about me. It's not just about my blessing. It's not just about what you do in me, but it's about what you want to do through me so that others may come to a saving knowledge of who you are. And if we're always trying to rush the moment, sometimes I feel like we miss what God wanted to accomplish and do in that moment. So I want to pray for you here this morning. So gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to dive deep into your word here this morning. We thank you that Luke recorded these events, and though he wrote them a couple thousand years prior to us, we can still draw so much truth and encouragement and help out of this text here today. And we thank you that you are a God who calls us to be patient and calls us to wait and not to be afraid of that. You are a God that's calling us to trust in your sovereignty and what you are doing and accomplishing. You are a God that is leading us through your spirit so that we may take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the unreached people groups, even sometimes to the people that we question whether your heart is really for them or not, but your heart is for them. Help us to be patient. Help us to trust and what you are doing, and know that what you are doing in us, you always desire to do through us. Help us to hold on to that truth, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Tim. That was a great word. Even in the waiting, God is preparing us, and God is preparing others. If there's any way that we can help you today, whether we can pray for you, maybe you're making a decision to follow Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time, uh, if you want prayer, let us know. Talk to us in the chat, leave a, a comment, or you could uh, email us at info at gtburlington.org. We'd love to connect with you. Yeah, that's right, Jar. You know what, before you go, we have a couple of questions for you to reflect on and maybe chat with a family member or a friend. Uh, you know, just to help you unpack this week's sermon, and put it into practice in your own life. You know what, God bless you, have a great week. We'll see you next week.